Welcome to YPN's Breakfast Podcast. Please enjoy this rock star panel of fire representatives composed of Melanie Everett, Sam Schaefer, Jason Stratton, and moderated by Rick Sovin. And now on to our amazing panel. So we'll start with our moderator, Rick Sobin. Rick is a managing broker with App Properties. He feels that his highest priority is the personal and professional growth and success of his agents, fostering a true sense of community and collaboration along with consistent training, coaching and mentoring are key to achieving these goals. Everyone, please help join me in welcoming Rick. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. First, I'd like to get an apology out of the way. If anyone knows me, um, I love to do yard work. So about five weeks ago, I planted a bunch of bushes, put down some sod, planted some seed. I looked up to the sky and I said, oh, I just hope it rains a lot now for the next couple weeks. It's my fault, I'm sorry. Uh, very happy to be here in front of everyone. You know, this is a business where we all get through this together and um, supporting each other, sharing ideas, sharing best practices is something I'm just proud to be a part of. So we'd like to welcome a very talented, knowledgeable, diverse panel today to help us with how to work with buyers. Sam, I'm sorry, Sam Schaefer, please come up. I have to get my names out. Melanie, what's your last name? Everett. Melanie Everett, please come up. Jason Stratton, please come up. Scoot down a little bit so everyone can see you, maybe. Okay, so we're going to start out with a few easy questions. I'm going to throw in a curve, a few curveballs. They thought they knew all the questions, but maybe not all of them. Uh, we'll start out with some easy ones. So first ones would be kind of collectively, how do you manage your buyer context? So what does your CRM look like? What does your outreach look like? Do you have any open house um, tools that you use to manage your buyer? So how are you keeping track of your people? Hello, Sam Schaefer here. Thank you for having me today. Um, so I will just come clean and say this is my biggest challenge. It's very, um, it could be intimidating to manage your current client database while also dealing with everything that you have right in front of you. So I have a system in place and it's um, always being fine-tuned and always room for improvement. But I use a uh, CRM, it's called Follow Boss, and what this does, I can keep track of my current clients and past clients, and I also have drip campaigns set up where I can actively communicate with people that have maybe have gone cold and kindly touch them on the shoulder every month or two months just to stay in, in front of them. Pass down, please. Hi, everybody. I'm Melanie. Um, I use Copper CRM. That's just for like keeping track of deal flow and stuff. I don't use it very well. It's also a challenge for me to like stay organized. It's not my strong suit. Um, so I use that. I use my memory. I use Google <laughs> Drive, like Docs and stuff. And then I have Mailchimp campaigns that are automatic, so it'll save me. Hello, uh, my name is Jason. Um, we have a CRM that we use. It's called Moxie, but I use a bunch of different stuff. I mean, we're all in sales, right? So like. This is not our strong tooth for any of us. Um, you know, we sell. 
but I definitely used uh, I used Moxie as a CRM. Um, I I use my Outlook, and I have like different files for everything. And when I email clients, I email email myself on that because I forget like when I've last touched out to them. And I'm kind of psychotic. I get up at five in the morning and I start going through all of my clients. I actually go to the MLS too, and I look at my agents, uh, my clients in the MLS, and I pick letters and I bang out letters every day. So I'll do all my last names with A's, B's, and C's, and I just go through it and I constantly reach out to those people. I also will be driving, and I just kind of a little kind of decent memory. I'll see a house that I know that I was part of like two, three years ago. I pull over and I text those people and say, I just drove by, how's everything going? So like when I put stuff into my Outlook, I always put the place that they bought or sold um, as part of their Outlook, you know, like where it says work, instead of work, because I really don't care where they work, I put where they live and that's kind of what I do. But I'm constantly doing it every morning from like 5.30 to like 8 in the, eight in the morning. Nice. The next part's a little uncomfortable, you know, we have um, partly we have disclosures that the state of Illinois requires that we deliver to a buyer disclosing that we are the buyer's agent that's something that we have to do with each buyer different companies may have different ways of providing that disclosure but companies also have exclusive buyer brokerage agreements and uh, you know on, on top of the form that we have to use how do you manage that written relationship with your buyer? Do you manage that? Do you use these agreements? Obviously, we use the first one, but uh, what's your form of formalizing a relationship with, with your buyer without scaring them off? Well, I've been selling real estate for almost 18 years, and I've never used an exclusive buyer agreement. My approach is that if they don't want to work with me or if I don't have if I haven't earned their trust and loyalty, then it's just not going to be a great relationship. So I will get burned one day. I have not at this point, but my approach is that we have a gentleman's agreement or an understanding that we're working together and that's served well so far. Thank you. Mine is the exact same answer, other than the 18 years experience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Sam on this. I mean, we're kind of cut from the same cloth. I mean, I think you know when you're working with somebody within a day or so if it's somebody you want to continue to work with. And if there isn't a trust and there isn't a relationship there, um, I, I think you just kind of part ways or just know that it does, isn't meant to be. I think people, I think you know if it's a client that you can trust from the beginning and you just sometimes lie to yourself and, and, and just get burned. But I think I'm with Sam and uh, I think that's how I do it too. Can I just give like the perspective from somebody new in the business? I've been in, in about a year, and um, as far as the buyer paperwork, one of the things that I've had success with is the first time I go out and meet them, I give it to them, and I say, I'm not going to ask you to sign this right now, but I'm going to set it up in DocuSign and email it to you. So this is so you to, for you to take a look at it and get comfortable with, and I'll email you the, the signable version. Nice. Very good. Success rate on that one? About 50-50. <laughs> When I was a, an agent, I always blamed it on the state of Illinois. I would simply, especially with the disclosure, and I would just say the state of Illinois requires that I provide you this disclosure and that I explain to you the different types of agency. It's off me, it's on the state of Illinois, done. You look very professional, and I think it's a great way to present it instead of you presenting it on your behalf. Sorry, I'm jumping in. I'm gonna sit down and be part of the panel now. <laughs> 
can't resist. Um, what about working with, this is, this is interesting, so we have a rash of people now, buyers coming in from Zillow saying, hey, this is in pre-foreclosure, it's in foreclosure, I saw it on Zillow, I wanna buy it. Or buyers that want to buy a for sale by owner. How are you managing those expectations, working with buyers and trying to find them properties that are not specifically listed? Melanie? Um, I guess I have had it happen before where a buyer that I was working with for a long time, maybe I showed them like four months worth of condos and um, in the end they found something on Facebook that was like being sold in like a neighborhood Facebook group by owner and they went forward on it and bought it but they called me and they were so like sorry and thankful and it was like a really like good call overall. Um, and now even talking about it, like I don't have super hard feelings about it at all. I think I just chalk it up to like, it is very rare for something like that to happen where somebody like cuts you out and then goes buy something on their own, like via Facebook or Zillow or whatever it is. Um, and when it does happen, I don't know. I mean, hopefully it doesn't like keep happening, but uh, I think eventually it's bound to happen for, for anyone. Um, that did happen to me and I think if you could stay positive when that does happen to you I will tell you if you have a good relationship you saw stuff with people for four months and random stuff happens with me it happened like a friend of a friend sold the place they called me up they told me I said that's great it's you know I'm happy for you and I just kept it because I wasn't really happy I mean, overall I was very happy for for them that they found something I will tell you I know the guilt these people are like the gift that keeps giving and I will tell you, if someone does that to you, really, really be positive and be on the up and the up because I wanna say every six months, I get a referral from them. And that referral's gotten me referrals. I mean, there's probably, I missed out on a $500,000 condo. I probably cashed in on seven million on the fact that I lost out on that 500. And I was just the bigger person I was. And I told them, you know, call me up if you have issues. You know, I still mentor them on their place, even though they didn't buy it with me. I'm telling you, always, always be the bigger person and it will come back because someone like oh man he was so nice and they, and they just get guilty and they just start throwing in referrals <laughs> um, I, I'm telling you uh, and then on the Zillow thing I forgot what was it. oh when people call you foreclosure foreclosure listen they're buyers are reaching out to you figure it out you know like <laughs> if, if it's something that is not available right now which is usually what it is or it's a pre-foreclosure that's you know first thing I'd say to people is listen it's going under foreclosure it'll be three years before this mark this property hits the market you know the bank doesn't care it's gonna go to the bank then the bank's gonna try to sell it to someone like within their network and this and that and this but you've got somebody that's interested like now if they're trying to buy the Taj for 40 grand you know you may want to move on but if it's something that is workable there it's still a lead it's still a buyer you should still nurture it still talk to them and figure out and you never know like I said, like the person that bought something else, they want a parking spot, their friend maybe want a million dollar home. Just always be cordial. You never know when it'll lead. You're always on interview. I had someone tell me that, they're like, listen, whenever you're anywhere, you're on interview. Because someone, a lot of times, you go to open house, you're on interview. Just always be your best. Yeah, that's a great point. Good. A good tip for you guys is, uh, you know, you're going to get one question every single day that you're out in the field, and the question is, how's the market? And 50% of the time, it's actually a test, like Jason was saying, it's a quiz to see if they trust you and think that your answer was credible, 
So part of your daily homework is to leave your house and have a very compelling answer for the question, how's the market, instead of just chatting about interest rates, no offense. Okay, so I think the next part is, is really important, the way that the market's shifted. So if I could divide the room, I would love to divide it, which we're not actually gonna do. Uh, people who've been doing business less than five years and people who've been doing business more than five years. So for the more than five years crowd, there was a time when an agent went into the MLS and painstakingly scoured every single property in the MLS and sent those properties to their buyer and this crazy long link came through with a very generic email. The buyer clicked on the link and saw these properties that the agent sent to them and those were the only properties that the buyer was looking at because they didn't have access to any other properties. Now, not only do they not click on the link, they don't even want you to send them properties. So now buyers are doing searches completely on their own. They are not relying on agents for those searches. How are you managing those expectations when you're not as in, you know what they want, you know what their price point is, you know what neighborhood, but you're getting all this outside noise. So I think it's really important for us to discuss how we're managing the new world of working with buyers organically. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I use the MLS and I, and I um, communicate to my buyers that I'm gonna set them up with what I call the holy grail. So they have access to the most up-to-date, accurate, real-time information available to them. Um, I tell my buyers that if they do feel the need to go rogue and start searching on other websites, um, I said, by all means, go ahead, take a look at anything outside what I'm sending on the MLS. Whatever you find, send me exactly what you're interested in seeing so then I can research it on your behalf. And a lot of times the information that they're finding is not up to date or accurate, but it's a good way to stay in communication with my buyers, and, and I welcome that as a way to know what they're interested in, and if something does slip through the, through the cracks, that we can go out and see it. And I'm constantly reinforcing that anything that they see on their own, they should funnel through me so I can make their lives a lot easier and schedule the showing and do all the research and heavy lifting for my buyers. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what Rick was talking about with uh, clients like sending you properties and stuff, that's, I feel like all I know. And when I started five years ago, like it was still like that where people would just be sending me stuff that they wanted to see from different like online third party MLS providers and stuff like that. Um, so I guess I can't imagine a time where you had to go into the MLS and like hand send people stuff because that sounds like a lot of work and I feel like I would miss uh, properties by doing it that way. Um, so I definitely encourage people to send stuff. I still set them up on the MLS so they're still getting like what Sam said, the holy grail. They're still getting the MLS drip. Um, but then I always say like if you see something on another site like text me the link, email me the link, whatever it takes like make sure I see the link and I'll be the one to um, same thing, do the research, contact the agent, get you in there, blah 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 blah. So I really play up, um, I, I guess that, like it's like a team effort to find the place. It's not necessarily like I'm gonna be hand serving you properties. It's like I want you to also be showing me what you like. 
Um, and then on top of that, like if I see off-market stuff on TAN or whatever, like I'll send them those too. So then they feel like they're getting like uh, the hidden layer of like off-market, on-market, and they're really getting everything that's out there. Yeah, I like what you guys both said. I think that's really important. I think, I think for myself um, and for the agents that the couple that are here that are on our team, I think it's you know at, at some point this information is going to be you know even more seamless and everyone's going to have it. And I think as agents, like where does that put you, right? So where are you? What what do you bring? What do you provide that's going to keep you going? Because if finding properties for somebody is what your business is based off, you're obviously going to be phased out, right? Because there's really no need for that as the market changes. You have to find what makes you irreplaceable. My mom told me that when I was like 10, right? She's like, if you're going to be successful, what makes you irreplaceable? Every one of us here has a talent that makes us irreplaceable. You have to find how that goes with real estate. You know, mine is math and construction. So like when I attack a buyer or a seller, that's my angle. My sister was an interior designer, my partner. That's her angle, we have different angles. Find out what your added value is to this industry and to your clients and really hammer that in. Because that's how you're gonna get referrals, right? That buyer is gonna be like, hey, listen, I sent this property to them, I sent this property, I found that, that's fine. You can't stop somebody from finding stuff, but you can provide all of that intuition, all that, you know, all of your experience to get to the closing table and to find out what it, what it is that that person wants. I think the first time I sit down and I talk to a buyer like that I don't really know, the first thing I say to them is like, listen, I'm not gonna tell you what you like, you know what you like, and I'm not you. I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with the property, and not that I don't like the property, but every property has a problem. Find that problem to your buyer, to your buyer. create value that you're providing, right? Find that problem, how can it be addressed and what are the upsides and the downsides of that property? And I always tell people, listen, getting a, getting a, well, sometimes it's tough, but getting a property under contract isn't really where we come in. We come in from the contract being signed to closing. That's where our value is. And that's what you have to stress to buyers so that they continuously use you and refer you out. But you've gotta find value add. We all have it, you've gotta find it. And, and finding properties for somebody is not value add. They can do it. There's other ways to do it. Love that. It's, it's, I think it's important to articulate to your buyers what, I mean, getting it under contract's the easy part, but dealing with the inspection, dealing with the appraisal, dealing with the appraisal dispute maybe, final walkthrough disputes. So remember to articulate your value add af, you know, when you're working with a buyer because they think that you're just there to help them get it under contract and that's the easy part. So we've all had these, I know I've had my share of these, but we have, let's call them lonely people out there, and they just want you to show them properties on Sundays. <laughs> they don't really want to buy one, they just need a friend for a day. How do you deal with friends for a day for months at a time, and is there a polite way that you can still get referrals from them and have a, and have a polite breakup? Well, that's a great opportunity to outsource that client to someone you don't like. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, to a team member. Um, I think that you have to give your client a homework assignment. And what I mean by that is make sure that they're qualified and they're serious. So if you have what I call a tire kicker, that's okay, but they have to um, get pre-approved. 
they have to put in the work, put in the effort, and I always say I'll work as hard as my clients are willing to work. So I don't think that um, after seeing 30 properties that they're gonna wanna continue to waste their time and, and continue to kick the tires, but I think it's really important to make sure that they are qualified, you give them a homework assignment, if they follow through, um, I give my clients the benefit of the doubt and it's worked out okay so far. Next. Um, so I feel like I started setting this expectation a couple of years ago, teaching the like first time homebuyer seminar. Um, and now, like anytime we meet with someone, we say, this is how the search process works. Like we'll do our first meeting together, we'll get a feel for what you're looking for. And then the first action step after that is we're gonna do a tour day. And the tour day is when we set up the like back to back, your top five to 10 favorite properties that you wanna see. We go take the buyer out and go through all those top properties. And then we say after the tour day, it's more like one off showing. So it's whenever new stuff hits the market that you're really excited about, then we'll make every effort to get you in like that day and the next day or basically as soon as possible. And I feel like as soon as we started kind of like explaining it to people that way, it, it, it kind of cut out that like tire kicker thing and made people um, really just get organized and be able to send us, here is my top 10 list, here are the places you know, bolded in green that I really want to see, the bottom ones in, in yellow that I'm kind of iffy on, so on and so forth. And then we structure the tour based on that, and then after that it's just like one-off showings. And by the time I feel like you've done a couple of weeks of one-off showings with somebody, they almost always find something. And if they don't find something, then they go quiet for a little bit until they do. So I, I feel like that system has worked out pretty well. I'm trying to think what I do. Um, I had one person that was going for a while, almost two years, but it was like, two yeah, two years, wow. putting in the work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say um, if I do enjoy the person's company, I will extend the time because, I mean, I kind of like to hang out on a Sunday too sometimes. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of look at it a different way. I kind of look at it, you know, I kind of look at it as recon for myself. Like we all do homework, right? Like a different type of homework, I guess. I do like the, you know, if I do think that someone, I don't know them that well, I do like doing the pre-approval thing to see if they're serious. But once they're approved and, and once they're spending their time, I just use the time going out as research for myself. So like I kind of spin it like, I'm not wasting my time if I'm actually seeing inventory, pricing, what trends are. And if it's a looky-loose, they're always negative, but that negativity that they're bringing on, I actually use on the sell side for myself when I'm looking at a property that I'm selling. So I, I really never use it as like, I never, no moment should ever be like a waste. There's always something good that you can get from it. I would think a looky-loo is just recon and kind of fine-tuning yourself and sometimes use it as a challenge, like how do I get this person to buy? How do I find them what they want? But I always just use it as, as kind of like recon and collecting data for myself. I'm just, that's just how my brain works. One last question and then we'll move into some questions. Am I on time, Grace? Yep. All right, because I love to talk. All right. Um, if you were gonna leave the room with one of the most important things that each one of us can do when working with a buyer to retain buyers, can you sum it up in a sentence or two? 
Sorry, that was it. It's to throw that one at you. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk for a little bit and give you a second to think of something. Um. So wait, we want what do we want? What's one of the most important things you can leave the room with when working with a buyer? You know how to how to perform a great task, how to retain buyers. Just your overall number one thing that you do to make a buyer love working with you. Oh, oh okay, got it. I don't think that was on the list of panel questions, but I like the question. Um, I guess I am relatable, and I feel like when I start working with a buyer, like not that I'm trying to be their best friend or whatever, but I do want to be their friend, and I want to be like trustworthy, and I want to be somebody that they can, I guess, identify with and connect with. So whenever I start working with someone, I try to find like that one commonality between us, whether it's like, oh, you know, we go to the same church, or we know people that work at the same company, or something like that. Like I want to find that commonality. Um, and then I think like once you get past that, they see you more as like a person and less of this like salesy realtor. Um, so I guess that's my, my go-to. Be yourself, if Thank I can you. summarize. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. For me, I tell my clients that I want to do all the worrying for them on their behalf. I want them to feel calm, cool, collected, and give them the sense that I will keep you safe and protected throughout every phase of the transaction. And I try to exude that um, when I'm with my clients all the time. And I've done deals with Sam, and he does do that. Thank you. He's a very good agent. Um, I just think that you have to be yourself. And I think if you wanted, it's kind of a little off topic, if you want to buy a book that kind of help you, buy non-verbal uh, non communication books. 80% of what we do, our body exudes without us saying anything. And buyers and sellers can understand when you're not keeping it 100. And I think you really need to be yourself at all times. And people will gravitate to that. And they gravitate to honesty. Don't be afraid to be honest, because people are going to know when you're not being honest. And that's kind of when that will stop. Someone will know when you're trying to play them or know when you're not being legit and being real. And they're not going to give your name to the next person. They're not going to speak up for you. And it's all about referrals. So I just, you always be yourself. I, I have a terrible potty mouth, and the fact that I haven't sworn here is really good for me. I swear like a sailor in front of my clients, because my clients know that I swear. That's just what I do, and they know that they're getting honest Jason. You just gotta be yourself. Love that. I always tell my agents, you know, not thinking about what the next step is or what the right step is. If you're thinking about being an agent and what the right thing to do is, you're kind of missing it. But if you always come at it from, how can I help this person? You'll never lose. How can I help this person make the right decision? So we've got time for a few questions, I think. Yes, anybody, yes. Bless you. Hi, this is Mike. I have two questions, actually. Uh, we talked about value add, but we didn't really talk about private listings or maybe in-house listings, do you offer that to your people? Say, hey, we might have something come up in, in our office, and that's something they're not gonna find on Zillow or other sites. And then the other question is, when you first have a buyer, do you have a consultation? Do you bring them in the office? Do you meet them at Starbucks? Do you meet them at the first property? How do you handle the first meeting with a buyer? I'll jump in. Uh, so two great questions. 
Uh, I think I use Top Agent Network for pocket listings. And I feel that it's Top Agent Network has become somewhat saturated. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that, but basically it's um, invited to the top 10% realtors in Chicago are part of this Top Agent Network where they can post upcoming listings or in search of a, in search of a property for a motivated buyer. Um, but I typically get close to, I don't know, 15, 20 emails a day through Top Agent Network, so it's a bit saturated. But it's a great talking point because it shows that you have um, opportunity to add value to a potential client you're trying to pick up. So I can, I have access to off-market information, I think is a big talking point, so that's great. And um, your second question, I think it's always great to meet someone first before you start shopping, but a lot of times, if you have a really good conversation with someone on the phone, I like to work efficiently and effectively. So it might make sense just to meet someone at the property to get started with the tour. But ideally, I want to line up a half a dozen places when I'm out with a buyer, whether it's a first time or a first initial meeting. Uh, so I'm at a company of three people, including myself. So I don't market any like in-house anything because that's very rare. I definitely talk about tan, and I feel like buyers eat that up. They love like learning that there's like another layer of like possible listings that aren't on the third-party sites or whatever. Um, and then for the consult, we always do consults. We have a WeWork office downtown at uh, Kinsey and Dearborn. And so we'll say, come to the WeWork office. We'll sit down, we'll have coffee for 30 minutes tops. And then we just basically like go through like the process or if they've already come to a seminar, then they know the process. So then we just kind of like build rapport and talk about like what exactly they're looking for. So yes, always an in-person consult. Um, I, I don't have the time to do the in-person counsel. I do like the idea of it. I, I kind of like just getting the person at the property and then being able to like show my my added value at the property. Like, I mean, if someone comes and sits down, I just I'm better I'm better on the job. Like I'm better on the street. I think that's kind of how I work. Um, I got a little too much energy for a table, <laughs> so I can at least get out there and uh, and kind of just say, hey, this this this. The tan stuff is great. Uh, I mean, I, hopefully everyone's like, well, I don't know if you're on this is a buyer seminar, so I can't say that, I guess. But you know, the private network on the MLS, the PRIV, I, I mean, I've, I, there's, that's been getting a lot of action right now, so there's another way that you can do it. I think a great thing I remember like a month ago is I brought up tan to like a potential new buyer, and they're like, well, how do I get on this tan thing? And I was like, I was like, okay, I was like, see ya. I mean, if they want to get on tan, they obviously don't want to work with an agent. So, but uh, I, I like to be on, I like to be on the street when I meet the person for the first time. We talked about the not so designated agency or you know the forms that you're supposed to ask a buyer to sign. I do the same thing as what you do, meaning I don't ask them to sign anything. If they want to work with me, they do. If they don't, they can easily walk away. But technically speaking, it's my understanding you're supposed to have the buyer sign it the first time you meet them. Technically speaking, I think you have to present it. I can address that. I yeah, present it till I present it. There is a pamphlet um, that. I forget if it's NAR, IAR, all of your offices should have it. It is just a disclosure of buyer agency. The buyer does not sign it. You sign it and you sign it and date it that the date that you gave that disclosure to the buyer. That's all that's required by the state. 
So I do, it via, I do it, Jeff works with us. I do it via DocuSign, so it's there, then I'm like. Yeah, I do the same with, I usually have them sign it when if you're out in the office, which is three, four, five weeks later. So, you know, I always get like hit from my office, you should have done this. I just well, send it to them, like right off, like right up the get-go, I send it to them. So that's there, and then it's recorded that it's been it's sent and the date's there. Yeah, and then do what you want to do right. with it. And blame it on the state. The state makes me do this. I, that is, so the state's sorry. the best. Yeah. It's the best. And I include the disclosures and the paperwork in one document, so they're signing everything at once yeah. in one document. Anybody else? I'm going deep. Have you ever fired a buyer's client, and how did you do it? You just tell them that you don't like them. I, I always say, listen, we don't match. My style and your style doesn't match. I mean, there's, listen, you, you know, if, if, if you don't enjoy being around somebody, and, and I will say this for the sell side too, right? All that negativity does is drain your production. That's all it does. You've got to get on and get past it because you want to keep the energy up. You want to be positive. And people that are bringing you down, it, it's not, I'm, I'm telling you, I can't tell you when, when I let a client go that I don't like, the next day, the, smell, the air smells better. <laughs> My production pops because they are a mental drain. You've got to get away from that, those people, period. Sam doesn't like to fire anybody. <laughs> Thanks them all. <laughs> Uh, do any of you use HomeSnap? Sam, are we allowed to, are we allowed to talk about HomeSnap? Um, I, I use HomeSnap. Um, I get leads from HomeSnap, but the leads are, are very interesting because I've never gotten one um, response to an inquiry. And I did, I have a new listing and I got a lead with the phone number so I decided I was gonna follow up with the phone number and let them know I'm having an open house both Saturday and Sunday where I can schedule a private showing anytime you'd like. And they said, I'm looking for uh, a condo in Buffalo Grove up to $100,000. <laughs> so it, it didn't necessarily add up. So I have not had great experience with HomeSnap, but I still use it for the one time that it's gonna actually pay dividends. But that's my experience with HomeSnap. Do either of you use it? Sophia does like a madman. I don't. I don't. I. I'm not. I'm not that tech savvy. Got it. Anybody else? One. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll work your way down. Just to follow up on that. So a lot of us are like on Zillow or getting online reviews. How do you balance like firing somebody or not wanting to work with them and being worried about like your potential like reputation or you know what they might write about you? Um, that is my biggest fear always, and that's probably like a personal flaw, but I cannot stand the strength. idea of somebody not liking me. And I know that people out there don't, I know that not everyone loves me or whatever, but I just, if I think a client is upset with me, like I cannot sleep, I am like such a wreck during the day if I, you know, have any inkling that somebody's like not fully happy with my services. So... I guess going back to the whole like do you ever fire someone thing no I've never fired anyone just because I'm like I don't want them to hate me not, not that I don't know I'm talking I don't know 
But um, yeah, I just, I think I fear too much that they would like go online and trash me on Zillow, which I, I can't have that happen. <laughs> it's kind of on topic, but I had someone tell me once that uh, live your life that if someone says something bad at your funeral, no one will believe it. <laughs> so if you have your reputation, everyone knows your reputation, you got 5,000 great things that said to you at Zillow and someone fires something bad about you, what are you gonna do? I mean, you know, and you know, you definitely want to fire someone nicely, but you do it the nice way. You say, hey, listen, it's just not working out. We just have a difference of, of styles. But I think if you're just good, I think people are gonna know. And people know who the good people are and the bad people are. We have time for one last question back here. Hey guys, thanks. Um, I am curious about where your business is coming from. So obviously we know that your sphere of influence and your Met database is gonna be where most of your money lies, but my team's been having a lot of success lately with Facebook and Instagram targeted ads, and I'm curious what experience you guys have prospecting online and capturing people outside of the net of people that you already know. Um, my biggest source of lead gen is, uh, it's called So You Want to Buy a Condo. It's a first time buyer uh, seminar that me and Chris Kinsella over there give us a, a wave. We, we put together a couple years ago and um, we advertise on Facebook to get people in the room and maybe half the people actually show up to the seminar itself. But then we have this like mass list of emails every single month that we can then drip and educate and so on and so forth. So it works out really well. Now I have a buyer's agent, wave Courtney. Courtney converts all the seminar leads and she's awesome. So it's a it's a fun system and outside of the seminar, I guess like Instagram and just stuff like that. That's where I get my leads. Uh, I've been marketing on Zillow, Realtor and also Yelp for a long time. Um, so I get a, a good source of my leads through that as well as my sphere of influence. Um, Facebook, I think, is a great tool just to stay in front of, for me personally, just to stay in front of my clients. Um, and it's always art and science between posting, um, I guess I call it the humble brag, versus you know something more personal. So for me, it's just trying to find that balance between um, Staying true and humble, and trying to, I guess, be be cognizant of not um, being too salesy when you're on social media. Um, I want to say probably about thirty percent of my personal business comes from online stuff. I think uh, members in our team it may be higher than that, but you know, from doing this for almost fifteen years now, it, it starts becoming mostly referral based. Um, but I definitely still use all the social media. I love it. I think it's fun. I love watching all of your guys' social media stuff, who's, who's active on it. Um, but definitely, I would say, um, when I was starting out, most of my stuff was converting renters. And that's how I started. Um, I kind of started from a 50-unit rental building and got all my production from there and converted those people to buyers, and one thing led to another. Awesome. Well, I'd like to take a moment and thank you guys for coming out because taking the time to better your careers is certainly where it all starts. And